seated. As you do so, let's join together now as God's blessed people by taking his blessed word and turning together to our passage for this morning and week, and that is found in Acts 10, uh, chapter, or Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 33. So we'll turn together to Acts 10, 9 through 33. Last Lord's Day, Luke introduced us to a man named Cornelius, a faithful, devout man, but he was a Gentile, he was a Roman centurion. And Luke tells us the story that the testimony of the account of Cornelius that one day when he was in his midday prayers, an angel appeared to Cornelius and said to him, Cornelius, go and sin for Peter. God has heard your prayers. Your prayers have made it to heaven and God has heard them. Go and sin for, for Peter. And as we talked about, we'll continue to see unfold this, this command was given because although Cornelius was devout and faithful, he was missing something. And that something was more of a someone that was Jesus Christ. His faithfulness and his being devoted wasn't flowing from hearing and believing the gospel of resting and receiving in Jesus Christ alone. And so what we will see as we continue to go through this account is that God has Cornelius sent for Peter so that the apostle can come to this faithful centurion, this devout Gentile, simply so he can share the good news of Jesus Christ with this Gentile and with his family and friends. And this is going to cause a, a huge change in the church as we will continue to explore. But before this can happen, before this, 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 before this sharing can be done, before this change can happen, there has to be a divine change in the mind and heart of Peter. Peter has to be changed so he can go share the gospel that will change others. And that's what our passage details for us this morning. And so we'll see that in Acts 10, verses 9 through 33. Uh, so hopefully you have that ready in front of you. So let's pray for the Lord's time together in his word. Lord, we, we pray very simply this morning. Be with us. On our own, we are, we are, we are lost sheep. We don't know which way to go. But if you're with us as our good shepherd, you always point us in the right direction. May your spirit be here to guide us, to point us. May we hear only your word and your truth and your word. May we be encouraged by this and convicted as well. Open our ears. Open our minds. Soften our hearts. So we may meet with you in your word this morning. We praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 10, verses 9 through 33. This is a lengthy passage, so I encourage you to read along with me. We will stay seated, but please have your word in front of you as we read this together. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were preparing for it, he fell into a trance, saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being led down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate 
And they called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise, go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, the centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who is well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you, to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. On the following day they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them, had called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. But Peter lifted him up, saying, Stand up, I, I too am a man. As he talked with them, he went in and found many persons gathered, and he said to them, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, Four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of the Lord to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. Change can be hard. For both of us, not all of us, but at this point in our life, we've come to understand it. We've had the experience, that first-hand experience of knowing that, that change can be hard. Change can be hard for us. Change can be hard for others. When the railroads were first introduced to the United States, there were those who feared that they would be the downfall of this nation, and nothing would ever be the same or as good as it was before. President Andrew Jackson received a letter about this very thing, and it was dated January 31st, 1829, and it reads as such. As you may know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. Signed, Martin Van Buren, Governor of New York. 15 miles per hour at the breakneck speed the Almighty never intended for us to travel at. We can read that letter, we can hear it, and we can, we can chuckle. And we can wonder, what would poor Van Buren do if he was transported to the year 2024? What kind of letter would he write then? We understand part of his fear of change. Change can be hard. We get used to how things are done. We get comfortable with the traditions that we like. Now, there are traditions we don't like, and we're happy to get rid of those, but traditions we like, we're comfortable with, and we, we, we want to keep them. We like for things to be familiar. We don't like a lot of change. Change can be hard. We know this. We've experienced it. And what we see happening in our passage, beginning from last week's passage, is that there is a change taking place in the church of Jesus Christ. 
And the change is a change of nationality. Up until this point, the church has been primarily Jewish. So if you were to go to a church in any time between Acts 1 and Acts 9 into Acts 10, you would have been in a room full of primarily Jewish people who, who loved Jewish things, who thought in Jewish ways. It was a primarily Jewish church. And now, starting with Cornelius, God is now bringing Gentiles into the church. And you know what that means? That means change. Somebody who's different than you, who thinks different than you, who has a different upraising than you. That means change. And this is going to change so many things for the church of Jesus Christ. And God knows that this change will be hard. This isn't something you go to from one week to another and it's a smooth transition. God knows that this change will be hard. And it takes a vision from God himself so that the Apostle Peter will not only understand this change, but will accept this change. And it begins with this vision as detailed in verses 9 through 16. And I like how one author describes this. It is a culinary vision. As Cornelius, two servants and devout soldiers are on their way from Caesarea to Joppa, we find Peter. And Peter is going up on the rooftop of Simon the Tanner. It's about noontime. And Peter is going up there to pray. This is according to the pattern of pious Jews who prayed three times a day. Now it's interesting. This isn't commanded in Scripture. Nowhere do we find, a, nowhere do we find Scripture. You are to pray these three times a day. But that's a good thing to do, isn't it? It's a good practice and habit to hold to. It's always good to pray. It's good to have the habit of prayer. It's good to have the practice of setting aside certain times of the day to pray. And that's where we find Peter. 12 p.m. is time for prayer. And we know that. We understand the goodness of having prayer like that. Some of us even have alarms set during the day so we know it's time to pray. That's what Peter is doing here. So he goes up on the rooftop to pray. A house is at that time and place would have a flat roof. And it could be accessed by stairs on the inside or outside. And that rooftop would provide solitude for prayer. Possibly even an awning for shade. And because they're, they're at, at, in Joppa, or it's in Joppa, as at the seaside, you would have the refreshments of the sea breeze coming in to cool you off. We think about that would be a nice place to pray, wouldn't it? Go up on the roof from everybody else, get some quiet have a shade over you, maybe even the, 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 the breeze of the ocean and hearing the sound of the surf just a few blocks away. And that's where, that's where Peter is. And he's praying. And as most of us know, around noontime is about what time of the day? It's lunchtime. So Peter is getting hungry. He asks for some food. And while he's waiting for his food, Luke says that he falls into a trance. It's, it's always interesting to see how people try to, to, to interpret Scripture outside of Scripture. And so one of the things I read about this is that people are saying, well, this was a, a, a hunger-induced trance. That Peter's blood sugar levels had dropped. He needed a Snickers. Right? He was, he was hangry. It's not the same when you're hungry, right? He needed a Snickers. And that's why he had this vision. So what does that tell us about the division? About the vision? not from God, because he hadn't had his peanut butter and jelly sandwich yet. Now, are you going to trust anything you see in a vision because you hadn't had your sandwich yet? 
But that's what they're trying to say. It's not so much divine as it was physiological. Ace. It doesn't take a great spiritual detective to realize this isn't what Luke is trying to say. Luke is, Luke is detailing that God caused Peter to fall into his trance so he could receive this vision. And the presence of the Lord comes upon him in such a way that he, he can now have this vision. It's a divinely induced trance so he can receive a divine vision. And what a vision it was, especially to Peter. He's praying, he's hungry. He asks for a sandwich or a chef's salad, whatever it may be he's asking for. Next thing he knows, he sees the heavens open up and this great sheet is coming down and it's led down by its four corners. We all know that sheets have four corners, so that's not unusual, but there may be something else at work here. The four corners may also refer to the worldwide dimensions of the vision, of the four corners of the earth. We see it referred to in Revelation 7.1 and the four corners of the earth refers to all the earth. Meaning that this vision that Peter is receiving from the Lord will have worldwide implications. That this will have implications for the gospel not just in Israel. But it will go out from there. And eventually end up in places like Scotland and Ireland. And then eventually the gospel end up in places like Winsboro, South Carolina. So from this vision on a rooftop in say 33, 35 AD of, of the worldwide vision of the gospel from that time we have seen the grace and benefits of it here in 2024 to sit here in a church far removed from Caesarea, far removed from Joppa, far removed from Israel and we're able to hear the gospel. This vision will have worldwide implications. So as this heavenly sheet is lowered, Peter is able to see that it contained all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And this is Old Testament cataloging. These are the categories of animals that correspond to a comprehensive Old Testament catalog of the animal kingdom on land and in the air. And what we see when we take what's in that sheet and we compare it to the animals that are listed out in the Old Testament, we realize that there are two kinds of animals in this sheet. There are clean and there are unclean. And these are according to God, to his laws. We find laid out in books such as Genesis and Leviticus. So what Peter is seeing in this sheet is a catalog of those animals that the Jews could eat. But there are also those that were forbidden for consumption. So he's seeing in front of him this sort of overall visual of what he has been taught all of his life. Peter, here's what you as a good Jew can eat. But as a good Jew, here's what you are forbidden to eat. As you can imagine, Peter's having to comprehend what he's seeing. So as he's going through comprehension, he hears this startling command from God. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Now again, this is where we need to keep in mind we are Gentiles and Peter is Jewish. To our ears, this doesn't ring too odd, does it? Oh, there's a pig, that's great, great barbecue. There's a cow, wait, there's, a, there's some hamburger there. There's chicken, get eggs, and we can have a chicken sandwich later, right? That's what we hear. But Peter is hearing this through Jewish ears and minds. Peter is a good, faithful Jew. He has been taught since birth that there are certain animals God has given to eat and there are certain animals to stay away from from the purpose of holiness. 
now. He is looking at sheep, has all of them together, and God is saying to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. You know, he's hearing something so different than what he's heard growing up. Then you were there, probably saw him, you know, kind of clean out his ears and say, I'm, I'm sorry, Lord, come again. I, I, I don't think I heard you right the first time. Say that again. I want to make sure I get this right. Rise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter answers as any faithful, devout Jew would, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. Peter says no. He refuses. He is firmly resolved to live in ritual purity. What he's saying essentially is, Lord, I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. I have never eaten anything that has been divinely uh, mandated by you to be forbidden to me so I can be a part of your holy people. This food is unclean because you have declared to do so and I know if I eat it, I will become ritually defiled. I will be unfit to come into God's presence and worship. I don't think this is Peter being sassy. I don't think this is Peter talking back to God. I think this is Peter simply doing what he has been raised to understand and practice. He doesn't understand the change. He's just being a faithful Jew of his day and time. So he's firm in his resolve. He's going to keep on obeying as he has for all of his life. God understands Peter. He understands how his mind works. He, he is fearfully, wonderfully made by God. He's been knit together by God in the womb. God knows Peter. And that's why he says to him, what I have made clean, you're not to call un, or you're not to call common. And by common, we mean profane, unclean, unsuitable for God's people. God in his vision is declaring all foods clean. Peter is not to say otherwise. So the sheep from heaven and the voice both bear witness that all of God's creatures are now to be viewed as clean and good and not to be refused. And again, God knows Peter. He knows Peter needs to hear it not just once, not just twice, but three times. I don't think there's anything magical to that number of three. I don't think it's a Trinitarian meaning. I don't think it's any sort of meaning. I think it's just the Heavenly Father knows his son Peter and knows that Peter needs to hear it three times so he can get it through his thick skull. That he understands he isn't misunderstanding, but he's hearing exactly what God has meant for him to hear. Change can be hard. And it takes a vision from God to get Peter to understand that this change is coming from him. So buckle up and get ready, Peter, because this change is coming. This perplexes Peter. And that's what is understandable. Luke says so in verse 14. He, he's just perplexed by this. So we can imagine there's Peter still waiting for his sandwich, scratching his head, scratching his beard, scratching his head again, his beard. You think he may have lice. But he's just trying to think through and sort out what he just received from the Lord. So here's Peter on the roof, perplexed, 
trying to figure this all out. And in God's gracious and divine providence, as he's up there trying to work out this divine math in his head, the men sent by Cornelius arrive and they are seeking Peter. And they're at the gate. And they're asking where the apostle Peter is. As they're there, the Holy Spirit comes to Peter and says, look, three men are down there. Rise up, go to them, and, and go with them because I've sent them. Now, again, Peter does as he's told to Peter's credit. He has a vision. He's trying to figure it out. God speaks to him. He does as he's told. He goes to greet these men. And the way Luke writes it, it, it I believe this all happened immediately. There isn't time in between. Luke's praying, he gets hungry, there's a vision, and the vision ends, these men come up, and Peter goes down to meet them. This all happens immediately. And I can't help but wonder if the Lord timed it this way, so Peter doesn't have time to explain away obedience. Because we all know what that's like. We can take time to explain away what the Lord calls us to do or not to do. If you give us enough time, we will rationalize away, we will rationalize ourselves away from God and grace and into Satan and sin. We're all guilty of that, aren't we? We can, we can read a passage, we can hear a sermon or a Bible story or something, and when we can feel this tugging on our heart of, of repentance and renewed obedience, but give us enough time, and what are we going to do? Rationalize it away. Conveniently forget. Put it aside for another time. But Peter doesn't have time to do this. This is a bang, bang, bang situation. Prayer, vision, people, meeting them. He listens to Cornelius' people. They tell him how this upright, God-fearing Gentile is one who's thought of well by other Jews. And this Cornelius was directed by an angel to send them for Peter to come to Caesarea. Again, I'm just going to say, poor Peter, his head must have been spinning. He just wants a PB&J sandwich. But he gets this vision. And he gets this opportunity. And he's been asked to go and see a Gentile. We see Peter begin to grasp his change because what's he do to them? As a Jew, he invites these Gentiles to stay with him. It's indication. Peter is starting to get the message. They get the next morning... And they made their way from Joppa to Caesarea to Cornelius' home. And I don't know if anyone that day knew what that day would bring or how much change that day was going to bring. As dawn broke, and Peter and Entourage are leaving out for Caesarea, this vision from God is getting ready to have massive effects. Recently came across this quote, The ground is always level at the foot of the cross. Isn't that a great quote? The ground is always level at the foot of the cross. Everyone is welcome to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everyone is welcome to hear the good news and respond in faith, no matter their religion, no matter their ethnic heritage, no matter their family name. The ground is always level at the foot of the cross. And praise be to God for that. Because we see that becoming clear for Cornelius and his family and friends here. That they get ready to come to level ground at the cross to hear the gospel. Peter shows up. He has a delegation of six brothers who can serve as witnesses. We find Peter explain that later on in chapter 11, verse 12. Of course, Cornelius is expecting them. But what has he done? 
He's invited his relatives and close friends to be there to, to meet Peter. The way Luke details this, <clears throat> it gets pretty awkward pretty quickly. Verse 25 says, When Peter entered into Cornelius' home, what did Cornelius do? Cornelius meets him and falls down at his feet and worships him. Probably not how Peter thought this was going to go. Probably not that he was going to walk into the Gentile's house and the guy's going to fall down at his feet and worship him. Certainly awkward. But again, let's think about now from Cornelius' perspective. Devout, faithful, praying. An angel comes to him and says, God has heard you. Sin for the Apostle Peter. Not just anybody. This is the Apostle Peter. So he sends for him and he's anticipating Peter coming back. And he looks out and here comes, the, here comes Peter with others down his front wall. And Peter walks in through his front door. The famous Apostle Peter has now walked into his home. Cornelius must have been overwhelmed with joy at the sight of the Apostle. At the sight of one whose message will bring salvation. He must have been filled with awe at seeing the one who an angelic vision said to summon. And so, Peter, so Cornelius falls down in worship. And Peter's credit, he'll have none. He grabs him by the arm and tells him to get up and says, look, I am just like you. I am on the same level as you. I'm not above you. We are both sinners in the need of grace of Jesus Christ. Get up. I am not worthy of worship. And sometime between the rooftop in Joppa to the living room in Caesarea, Peter's able to put together what God meant by this vision. It wasn't just about what he could eat. It wasn't just now he could go and get a good plate of barbecue and enjoy it. He's understanding that the gospel is for everyone and the church is open to everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Look what he says in verse 28, 29. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked them, why did you send for me? Peter gets it. It may take him a couple days. Hard-headed, stubborn, prone to think, to speak without thinking, Peter understands what God has shown him. I should not call any person common or unclean. That's why he, as a faithful Jewish Christian, can enter into the homeless Gentile and not fear being rich or unclean or ritually impure. And when Peter says it's against our law to associate visit with a Gentile, he's not pointing to an explicit Old Testament teaching as much to a Jewish custom. In Jewish eyes, Gentiles themselves have become a source of ritual impurity. So to be around a Gentile means you would have been ritually impure. You couldn't go to the temple. You couldn't worship. You couldn't offer, offer sacrifice. You would now, in a sense, be like a Gentile. You would be an outcast. You would be on the outside. And this is deeply ingrained in Peter. But despite of this being deeply ingrained, Peter announces he has learned the lesson of the heavenly vision. He understands that the gospel is for everyone. The church is open to everyone, even a Gentile Roman centurion. And this is a, we can maybe think of this like as the light bulb moment for the church. Right? It's clicked. It's happening. It's all going to change from this point forward. 
Because Cornelius then explains it was God. It, it was God who orchestrated this historic meeting. It, it's God who's inaugurating the Gentile mission. And I think it's fascinating that Cornelius says there's only thing he desires. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. He doesn't ask for Peter's autograph. Here, Peter, sign my scroll of Isaiah. He doesn't go get a friend to go and draw a selfie of them together. What does Cornelius want? He wants to hear the gospel. Peter, I've been waiting for this. I have gathered all my family and my closest friends just so you can tell us the gospel of Jesus Christ. How wonderful is that? Cornelius so loves his family and his friends that along with himself, he just wants them all to hear the gospel. He just wants to sit there with his wife and his children and maybe his mother-in-law, we'll see. But he wants to stare at his wife and his children and the rest of his family and his friends. And he just wants Peter to explain to them what it means for God to love the world, all the world, that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. All Cornelius wants her for him and his family and friends is he just wants the gospel. As we see, it will be shared with them. And they will be welcomed to the church and God's vision will be fulfilled and everything in the church will change because the ground is always level at the foot of the cross. Because the gospel is for everyone, even the Gentiles. I want us to think about this at the close. Brother, sister, friend, when was the last time you shared in Cornelius' desire for the gospel? When was the last time your, your heart yearned to hear that old, old story of unseen, unseen things above, of Jesus of his glory, of Jesus and his love? Tell me the story simply as to a little child, for I am weak and weary and helpless and defiled. When's the last time you longed to just sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his gospel? And when was the last time you loved your family and your friends so much that you wanted to hear that same gospel? That your greatest prayer is that they would hear about that wonderful redemption, God's remedy for sin. Tell me the story often, for I forget so soon. The early day of morning has passed away at noon. When was the last time your heart burned for the gospel? When was the last time you went to your families and friends and said, come, come with me to hear about Jesus. Come, sit with me at the feet of Jesus. Come and hear his invitation. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. When was the last time you were like Cornelius? This is how we know he was sincere about his faith. 
Because everyone he loved, he invited to come hear the gospel. Everyone he loved, he invited to come and hear about the one who so loved them that he gave his only son. Studies show that 83% of people who are in church are there because they were invited by a family or a relative member, or by a friend or relative, by family or friend. Eight out of ten people in the church in America are there because a family member or a friend invited them to church. That's an astounding number. But studies also show that only 2% of church members invite a single person to church every year. Eight out of ten people are in church because someone invited them, yet only two out of ten in the church are inviting people to church. This isn't about numbers. This is about the gospel. Someone loved you enough to invite you to come and hear the gospel. Someone loved you enough to invite you to come sit at the feet of Jesus and hear about his love for you, and it changed everything for you. And here you are this morning, worshiping the living God, because someone loved you enough to invite you to church. When was the last time you loved someone enough to invite them to church? When was the last time you had a heart like Cornelius, and you just wanted to hear the voice of your Jesus? And you wanted your family members and your relatives to hear that voice of Jesus. Change can be hard. But when we see our family and friends changed because they have sat at the feet of Jesus and they've heard that old, old story and that love overwhelmed them and that love consumed them, and they came to Jesus. That change isn't hard, is it? We won't write a nasty note to the pastor saying, how dare you tell my family members about Jesus? Now we will get on our knees and we will praise Jesus that he loved us and he loved our friends and he loved our family members enough to save them. May we all be like Cornelius. And that we desire the gospel. We desire to change us. And we desire for our family and friends to hear that same gospel so that they too will be eternally changed as they hear about Jesus, the Savior of sinners, the Lord of life, the friend of his people. If there's ever anything said about the testimony of Bethel ARP, may it be that it's a church full of Cornelius's. They just want to sit at the feet of Jesus and hear his gospel. And they invite everyone to do the same. That's a good change. Let's pray together.